Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. The year ahead will certainly be filled with all kinds of blessings and trials, challenges and opportunities. But this year, we are resolved to trust God no matter what the circumstance and to follow Jesus wherever he leads us, to forgive those who've wronged us and to bless others with the words that we speak, resolved, to pray without ceasing and to study God's word with diligence, to be the first to serve and the last to complain, to love at all times, to work unto the Lord and to be generous with all that we have, resolved to cherish the beauty all around us and to spread joy in our community, to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, to live in faith and not in fear, to exemplify humility, integrity, and gratitude, to honor Christ with our time, treasures, and talents, to make a difference with our lives and to give glory to God in all things. This year, we are resolved. I pray that you are this year resolved to do all of those things for God's honor and glory. Listen, before we get started, I just have to do a couple of things. One, it's good to see you, Joel and Vicki. Uh, but over here, Sergey, you know you can't come in here and try to hide fresh off of MCRD, Paris Island, South Carolina. Sergey, stand up and let us welcome you out of Marine Corps boot camp. Yes, sir. Now, the only thing, I'm going to have to get a closer look. I'm not sure that haircut is as good as the one I gave you before you left. <laughs> it looks close, but it's good to see you and praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, yeah, yeah, I heard somebody barking over there. <laughs> Clear your throat. We have lozenges for you. Uh, it's good to see Spain and Linda, Miss Linda over here, hiding that, that shoulder and whatnot. And... Uh, Quite honestly, it's good to see each and every one of you this morning, and um, we were blessed yesterday to have the memorial service for, for David Jeremiah. What a blessing that was, and uh, so thankful to be in the Lord's house. You know, last week we began, we began our New Year's series, as the video uh, entails, in, uh, entitled Resolve, and in doing so... We were reminded, first of all, that all of life, really, all of life, no matter how we categorize it, you think about it, the air that we breathe, our abilities, our resources, quite honestly, everything that we have has been given to us, we said, as a sacred trust from God. Do we believe that? Everything that we have has been given to us as a sacred trust from God. In fact, Scripture tells us that as Creator God, that the earth and all who dwell therein, in Colossians 1, it says that, they were, that the earth and all who dwell in were created by God and that we were created for God. 
And so everything, everything belongs to him. Everything comes from him. And as such, he has the absolute right of ownership. That rubs our fur the wrong way, doesn't it? When we say God has the absolute right of ownership because we love to own things, don't we? Who, 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 who's proud of something they own? Uh, like, is this a trick question? <laughs> like, who's proud of something that, that you have or something that the Lord has blessed you with? You know, it's okay because the reality is if you have it, God's the one that blessed you with it. And so you can give him the glory for those things. And so last week, ultimately, <clears throat> what we looked at was that God's word, we looked at what God's word has to say about this thing that we call time. Remember, we were, we were talking about uh, time and we biblically considered how we might go about managing, not managing time, because the reality is you and I, remember I said that we're no more equipped to manage time then we are equipped to manage the waves of the seashore that keep coming one after another but we are able and God has given us the ability to manage ourselves well we can manage ourselves well in light of time and in light of eternity in fact last week I pointed out that the word resolved is a stronger word than just this idea of you and I making a resolution or this idea of just simply saying, I resolve, because it literally means to be determined or strongly determined. And with this strong determination in mind, I want us to consider, if you will, and I want us to turn our attention to another sacred trust that has been given to us by God. If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Psalm 19. In Psalm 19 this morning, from the precious Word of God, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. I encourage you to take a look at it with us this morning in Psalm 19. When you make your way to Psalm 19, if you will, drop down and look with me beginning in verse number 7. By the way, this entire psalm is worthy of our attention but for the sake of, watch this, for the sake of time, we're going to begin in verse number 7. Look with me. And the Bible says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. In other words, each time it's talking, these, these phrases, the fear, the statutes, the commandment, and on and on, this is talking about the word of God. It says, more are they to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. Notice it says, and in keeping of them, there's great, what's it say? But in keeping them, there's great reward. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. and We thank you for loving us and sending your son Jesus to die for us, to place himself upon an old rugged cross, to place upon himself the sin that he didn't, that he didn't earn, but Lord, he took in our place for us and paid the price that we could never pay. 
Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your greatness. And I pray that in the next few moments of time that you'll clear our minds from whatever is taking place. And Lord, we'll open up the eyes of our understanding that you'll do that by your power, that we might be able to see what you see and we might be able to be reminded of this beautiful, sacred trust that you have given us in regards to your word. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for all that you have done. And Lord, I pray above all, as I always do, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight because you are my strength and Lord, you are my redeemer. Lord, help us to live that way each and every day and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I appreciate you guys again being here today as we look at another topic here. And the reality is, as followers of Christ, the reality is that doctrine, the doctrine and our distinctives, actually they define who we are, but they also define what we believe more than anything else. And probably the most important distinctive that we have, quite honestly, as, as Baptists, and you say, well, I don't consider myself as a Baptist or whatever. Hey, that's between you and the Lord. But the, probably one of the most important distinctives that we have is that we believe this book. We believe that the Word of God is true. That it is altogether right, that there is without error, and on and on. And so we believe that it is our sole authority and that it should be the supreme standard by which we live our lives. That's quite honestly, uh, literally the reality is, as Baptists, we believe this to be a foundational truth in our lives. Now, when we examine other denominations and other denominational backgrounds, we learn that the Lutherans, they turned to Martin Luther as their founder. And their clergy must sign the Augsburg uh, Confession in order to be, ordained, uh, 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 to be ordained. Methodists turned to John Wesley. I shared this many years ago. They turned to John Wesley as their founder and they agree with the Methodist discipline. Presbyterians, no doubt, turned to John Knox as their founder, or John uh, uh, Knox as their founder, and subscribed to the Westminster Confession of Faith. The official doctrine or document of the Episcopal Church or the Church of England is the 39 Articles. And now, while I'm not trying to be critical, please bear with me, I'm not trying to be critical of any other denominational school of thought or any other of these, these ones who had a part in founding these denominational schools. The reality is a Bible-believing Baptist, we have no founder other than Jesus Christ. We don't look, just so everybody's clear, we don't look to John the Baptizer as our founder. Okay, they call him John the Baptist, but he was John the Baptizer. We don't look to him as our founder, we look to Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. And as a Bible believer, I have no, to be honest, I have no confession or creed that I need to hear, that I need to adhere to. My sole authority is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And it's pretty important. It's pretty important because God gave it to us. And he gave it to us with this mindset that we would cherish it. That we would view it as a sacred trust. And that we would manage it well in our lives. No human opinion or decrees can usurp the authority of God's word. In fact, Baptists have typically been known down through the years. To be honest, Baptists have been known as people of the book. 
That's what they've, that's what they've been known as down through the words. In other words, Baptists for the most part, not all Baptists, but for the most part, have been resolved to live according to God's truth. But sadly, in many churches, and even with many believers, tradition has crept into the mindset. Can I just say, be careful of tradition. Somebody say amen. amen. Be careful. I, I didn't say all tradition was wrong, but we need to be careful of some traditions that we uh, supplant as the authority in our lives. By the way, you say, why is this important? Because you know the scribes and the Pharisees were guilty of trying to replace what God said with tradition. In fact, in, it was the case with the scribes and Pharisees when you get to Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 6. You see, instead of teaching what thus saith the Lord, they began teaching what thus saith man. And you have to be careful with that. So when you get to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 6, Jesus said that they had made the commandment of God, watch what he said, they had made the commandment of God none effect by their traditions. He goes on three verses later in the same passage and he tells them that their worship of him in Matthew 15, 9, he says, hey, your guys' worship of me is in vain because you're teaching doctrines, the, for doctrines, the commandment of men. In other words, you are making what this guy or what this person said or that person said more important than what God says. We got to be careful. We have to be so careful. And if we're, if we're honest, it's an, easy, it's an easy slippery slope if we don't pay attention to what we're doing. You see, even then, beliefs and practices in many cases were given a higher priority than the words of God. But what I know is that you and I today, we're talking about being resolved. We have a choice. We have a decision to make. We're either going to resolve that this word of God is going to direct our lives. We're either going to be resolved that God's word is going to have the authority and the sole position, the position of priority in our lives, or we're going to be ruled and governed by the teachings and traditions of others. That's just the way it is. And sometimes it's a, it, it, we, we think we're following what thus saith the word of God, and then we turn around and find out that we're listening to some type of tradition. And I please, I want you to understand my heart. I'm going to point to some examples today, but my, my, my heart is not to bring any negative light on any type of denomination or background. So with that said, I, I just want to share the importance of understanding and being careful about traditions instead of what God's Word says. And so as an example of tradition, bear with me, we could look at the Catholic Church's teaching on purgatory. Now, to be honest, folks, the reality is purgatory is never mentioned in the canon of Scripture nor even in the non-canonical apocrypha. And yet this erroneous concept continues to be taught. It continues to be promoted. The Roman Catholic Church also believes, in, and this is just a tradition. I'm just giving tradition. They, they believe that they were instrumental in the formation of the Scriptures. And the problem with this mindset is that at any point, a council or a person or a, a bishop or a pope can give some type of a verbal decree that becomes more superior than what thus saith the Lord. In fact, I don't want to go into history, but just recently, the pope made a statement about blessing. Yes. Folks, here's the thing. When some council, committee, church leader, 
or I dare say even a pope, makes a statement that is anti-biblical. We must be careful not to follow a tradition. We must follow the word of God. In other churches, experience Experience becomes the authority in their life. Like, it's not even tradition, it becomes experience. And listen, we have to be careful. Listen, we get worshiping and, and, and then we walk out, we're like, man, that was an amazing song. And, and praise the Lord, people were singing and, and they were worshiping. And guess what? As, as Travis was talking about, when we get together and we sing, what we're doing is we're ascribing worthiness to, as if he needed us to ascribe it, he is worthy. And so we're ascribing his worthiness to him. We're, we're, we're worshiping him for all that he has done in our life. And by the way, we ought to worship him whether he does anything in our lives. Because he is creator God. The very fact that we're breathing is proof that he has done something in our lives. And so we have to be careful of this idea of experience. Even in 2024, the reality is all around the world. I talk with our missionary partners from time to time. And you see the charismatic movement is still running in full swing. And, and if we're not careful, the Word of God takes a back seat to experience. It's, it's not just the traditions of men as it was with the scribes and the Pharisees. Remember what Jesus said to them. But then you have this idea of experience. And the reality is if the experience doesn't match up with what God's Word says, then typically the experience wins. You see, because what happens is say, well, brother, um, God's word says this. And then when you're talking to somebody, they say, well, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I saw it and I heard it and I felt it. And so that supersedes what God says. We have to be careful of that because here's what I know. Can I just lovingly say this? God is not the author of confusion. If you experience something, watch this. If you experience something, it is not going to contradict the Word of God or the Spirit of God. If it, if it doesn't confirm and, and correlate with what God is saying, then it's not from God. That's just the bottom line. It's not from God. And so we have to be careful of this idea of tradition. We have to be careful of this idea of experience. I think about the Apostle Peter. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. You think about Peter as you're turning, he's a, he spoke in tongues, he was used by God in the healing of people, he prophesied, and to be honest, Peter had some pretty incredible experiences, amen? I mean, God used him time and time again, and so he had these incredible experiences, but I dare say, I do not think that Peter would place more authority on his experience than he did the Word of God, and so... So I'm going to show you that Peter actually answers this question for us. And uh, so look with me in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. When you get there, drop down to verse number 16. In verse number 16, the Bible says, For we have not followed, this is Peter writing to the diaspora, uh, the, the, the Jewish people that had been displaced at that time all throughout the known world. He says, watch this, he says, For we have not followed cunning devices, uh, cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But watch what he says. But were eyewitnesses. 
He says, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now hold on to that for just a second. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice from him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So he's not referring to when Jesus was baptized, when Jesus came up and the Father said, uh, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. He's referring to the time that he, James, and John spent with Jesus where? On the Mount of Transfiguration. So he's telling us about another experience that he had notice again he says look here in verse number 16 at the end of verse number 16 he says but were eyewitnesses of his majesty and so you can read by the way you can read all about those that that passage in in three of the gospels in matthew and in mark and luke so in a brief moment of time if you think back to the mount of transfiguration you've got peter james and john they're with Jesus, and they're able to uh, see God the Father reveals the glory of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. There for just a sp split second, they're given a glimpse of God's glory as it bursts through the veil of His humanity. And in that moment, if you remember the story, in that moment, Peter gets so carried away that he comes up with this amazing idea. He's like, this is crazy. Have you ever done that? This is crazy. Some of you haven't done anything, have you? <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> he says, he says, I, you know what? Hold your spot. I, I, I don't want to tell you. Hold, hold your spot and turn to Mark chapter 9. Hold your spot and turn to Mark chapter 9. Now, stay, stay at 2 Peter 1, but I want you to hold your spot and turn back over to Mark chapter 9 because I want you to see it for yourself. I don't want you just to hear it from me and be like, oh, is he really telling us the truth? Yes, because it's God's word and God's word is true. So when you get to Mark chapter 9, I want you to drop down and look at verse number 5. Look at verse number 5. In Mark chapter 9, and Peter answered. Now this is when they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. They've been given this glimpse of, uh, uh, of who Jesus really was. His glory is burst through his, his, his humanity here, the veil of his humanity. And in verse number 5 and following, Mark chapter 9, And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Thank you for bringing us up here. It's good that we're here. And let us make, watch what he says, let us make three tabernacles. We're going to make one for you. We're going to make one for Moses, and we're going to make one for Elias. <laughs> for he wist not what to say. And yet Peter always had something to say. Isn't that true? For he wist not what to say. He didn't know what to say, but he wanted to say something because he had been moved by his experience. Watch what it says. For they were sore afraid. Verse number 7, And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, Uh-oh, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Hold on. God, I just told you, I just told you, look back at verse number five. We're going to make three tabernacles. It's going to be amazing. We're going to make one for Jesus. We're going to make one for Moses. We're going to make one for Elias. Man, it's amazing. Elijah's going to have one. Moses is going to have one. Jesus is going to have one. And God the Father says, hush. Essentially. You don't know what you're talking about. 
Peter says, I do know what I'm talking about. We're going to do big things. It's going to be amazing. And God the Father, he says, you need to stop right now. And you need to listen to my son. And you need to hear him. Because Peter, here's what I'm telling you. The words that my son, Jesus, has to say, the very word of God himself, is far more important than any experience you could ever have. We have to be careful. See, because we get worked up into a frenzy. Oh, it's it's so amazing. We're doing this and we're doing that and you can't believe it. No, what does God's word say? If it doesn't, if if it's not consistent with what the word of God says, we have to be careful of this. In fact, John even knew that. Even John, who was with Peter, knew that because in John 1, in verses 1 and following, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 2, and the same was in the beginning with God. And then he says in verse 3, all things. He said, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, if you go forward, John even talks about seeing God's glory in the form of Jesus Christ. He says, and verse number 14, he says, and the Word, speaking of Jesus, was made flesh, speaking of his incarnation, and dwelt among us. And notice what he says, and we beheld his glory. He saw the glory of Jesus just as Peter saw it. As of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Father, he immediately responds. Peter says, we're going to do this. We're gonna... And the Father immediately responds audibly through a cloud Listen, if you walked outside today and the clouds started talking to you, what would you think? God said, listen, this is my beloved son. You need to hear him. It's as if God was saying, my son, what he has to say is way, way, way more important than any experience you could ever have. Oh, we must be careful. Look back with me. Go back with me because in 2 Peter 1, I told you to hold your spot. Remember, we just finished what Peter was revealing about his time on the Holy Mount in verse number 18. But look at what he says in verse number 19 because he continues by revealing this importance of the Word of God. Peter confirms the priority of God's Word. He says here in verse 19, we have also a more Sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Now hold on, how do you think Peter came to to understand that he had a more sure word of prophecy? Because God the Father told him. God the Father said, listen, I get what you just experienced, but what you need to do is you need to stop. Because Jesus is not Moses and he is not Elijah. He was and is and always will be the very Son of God. He's more than an earthly prophet. And what you need to do is you need to listen to the very Word of God instead of relying on your your experience. And so notice he continues, he says, Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until that day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Look at verse 20. Knowing this first. That no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Look at verse 21. For the prophecy came not of old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Listen, the Word of God is more sure than anything that you and I will ever experience in our life. 
But I can tell you this, it will only bring stability in my life and it will only bring stability in your life if we're resolved to live according to the precepts and the teachings that are given to us in this holy book. Not only were tradition and experience ruling many churches, and I'll be honest, experience and tradition still rule many people today. That's so dangerous. But I'll tell you another dangerous thing that's going on in our culture in 2024. It's not the school of, uh, of tradition or the school of experience that seems to be wreaking havoc these days. It's the school of human reasoning. It's the school of human reasoning. The school of human reasoning literally uh, rejects any belief or any behavior based on the authority of Scripture alone, period. You see, because the school of human reasoning wants to put everything through a filter. And I got news for you. The school of human reasoning's filter is not the Word of God. They're not using the Word of God to filter out what they believe and what they don't believe. By the way, there are portions of this book that the, the human reasoning crowd would say they adhere to. But not very many. Not very many. The reality is they put them through this filter. And so the miracles that are recorded in Scripture, the prophecies that are given, and the supernatural occurrences of Jesus that are recorded, uh, recorded are typically rejected. Because if it cannot be humanly reasoned out in the mind, it is labeled untrue. Or they just simply say it's impossible. How could Jesus be born of a virgin? Well, guess what? It blows my circuit breaker too, but it doesn't discount the fact that he was born of a virgin. Like, uh, that doesn't happen. Have you been to science class? Yes, I went to science class. You're not the smartest student ever. Yes, I went to science class. But guess what? All things are possible with God. See, what we do is we're trying to put God in a little humanistic box. He's not in my box and he's not in your box. He's the one who created the box. And we get, we get carried away. Well, I just don't understand it, so it must be a lie. It must be impossible, so it cannot be true. And guess what? That's what our young people are being fed day after day after day. And we wonder what, why things are waxing worse. And that's not a condemnation on the young people. That's just the reality of what they're being fed by society. Social media. Listen, if you don't think social media is out attacking your child, you are, you are, you are under a rock. The reality is they are on the attack. I just put in my notes, watch this. When human reasoning replaces the truth of God's word, we as a people are in trouble. Because what we're saying is that we are smarter than God. And once a person thinks they're smarter than God, all things, are, all things are in play. I can say and do whatever I want because guess what? I'm smarter than God. We have to be careful of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible reminds us that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Well, friends, if we hope to live a life that brings God glory, then we must be careful to avoid the trap of tradition, avoid the trap of experience, avoid the trap of human reasoning with this world. We must be resolved.
to walk in truth. In 2 Timothy 15, the Bible actually refers to itself as the word of truth. Folks, the word of God is authoritative and powerful. It is a living and an active. It's right. It, it, along with the Holy Spirit, leads us to salvation. It guides our steps. It's a lamp under our feet and a light on our path. After salvation, it imparts wisdom. It encourages and strengthens. And ultimately, the word of God is a source of joy and a source of peace in our life. Oh, it's the word of truth. John 16, 13 speaks of the Holy Spirit of God as being the spirit of truth. In other words, truth is attainable, but not apart from the spirit of God. Oh, yes, if somebody comes to faith in Christ, they do so by the word of God and the spirit of God. They work together. God is not the author of confusion. And Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6 that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh to the Father but by him. Listen, Jesus Christ is the person of truth, and he has all power. Aren't you thankful for that? I always like to say it like, like I really mean it. He's got the power. He's got all power to set us free. What's amazing, Brother Charlie, is as you were talking in Sunday school this morning, I looked at Chuck and I pointed to what I was teaching on because you hit right all over it. And I didn't know if you knew this, but in John chapter 8, Jesus said unto the Jews which believed on him in verse 31 and 32, he said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Folks, can I tell you this? This set it, listen, I could set this down right here. That's truth. But that being truth right there will not set me free. That, that can be truth all day long. But until I receive truth, until I apply truth, until I learn more about truth, that's what sets me free. That's what does it. Oh, listen, we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must continue in his word. That's when we're going to be set free. By the way, we don't continue in his word to earn salvation. We continue in his word in light of our salvation. Do you get that? It's like, hey, if you continue in my word, you'll be free. No, listen, we continue in the word of God because we have been set free. Not to earn freedom as we absorb truth and live according to it. We are liberated. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, the Bible teaches us that the church of the living God is the pillar and the ground of truth. Listen, if a so-called, and watch the air quotes, if a so-called church is teaching or propagating or adhering to something other than the absolute truth that is found in the word of God, then can I just lovingly say they're not a church of the living God. If they're adhering to something other than what's found in the Word of God, they're not a church of the living God. They're a church of something else. Turn back with me to our beginning psalm. We're going to begin, we're going to end where we began. Turn back to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. And when you get there, I want you to notice that in verses 7, 8, and 9, what you find is this phrase, of the Lord. Over and over and over again. Six times in three verses you find this phrase of the Lord. And so I want you to remember that this is not speaking of man. This is speaking of our Lord, Jehovah God, Yahweh. 
Okay, And so Jehovah, or Jehovah, is the Hebrew name that God used for himself when he is revealing his truth. Notice in verse number 7. Verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. That word law means instruction. It's talking about the instruction from God's word. So the law or the instruction of the Lord is perfect. The word perfect means that it is whole. It is complete. It is sufficient. In other words, the law of the Lord says, the Bible says it's perfect. In other words, it completely gives us what we need to know. It doesn't leave anything else. Listen, nothing needs to be added. Nothing needs to be subtracted. It is completely whole and sufficient. Notice the phrase there in verse 7, converting the soul. This tells us that God's word has the power and the ability to transform lives. You want to live a life that is pleasing to God? Here it is. You want your life to be transformed? You want to be set free? Listen, God has given us a roadmap to success. Verse 7, notice it also says the testimony. Speaking of the testimony of the Lord is sure. And the the word sure there means that it's reliable and worthy of our trust. Listen, we can't, I'll tell you what, we live in a time when it's hard to trust a lot of things. My wife and I were without power, uh, or without power, excuse me, without uh, heat for the the better part of this past week. And I kept on hearing that it was going to get fixed. It was going to get fixed. I'm sorry, Tolly, I threatened four times to call you. And my wife says, well, we got the home warranty and everything. And bless her heart, she saves us money, right? So they work with the thing. And I was like, one more day, I'm calling Tolly. I'm calling Tolly. He's probably got this thing sitting on the shelf. And so we're sitting there, and we were told it was going to be this day. Just trust us. Just trust us. And then the next day, and then the next day, and then they finally came. It was out, by the way, last Sunday and got fixed Friday. All right? And so... uh, so we were space heatering. Now, uh, I've told everybody Wednesday night, the queen mother has her own separate heat. So it was 77 and balmy in her place, right? In fact, I thought about going, I told the Wednesday night crowd, I thought about going have a sleepover in, in the queen mother's apartment. But we were space heatering it. Isn't that how life is sometimes? We get told one thing by someone and it's hard to trust anything. Look at verse 7 again. It says the testimony of the Lord is sure. It means it's reliable. It means it can be trusted. In a world where it's hard to find people that you can trust, the reality is that we can trust the very word of God to give us direction in our lives. Oh, listen, as I stated in the beginning of this message, God's word is infallible. It's without error, but I also said that God's word is inerrant. That means that it is incapable of being wrong. Uh, Well, pastor, I I did my own research, and I found here where it says one name, and it says another name in another verse, and it doesn't make much sense to me. Do you remember that this is a translation of the originals, right? And I believe this book from cover to cover. Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation 22, 21. But can I tell you God's ways and his thoughts are much higher than our ways and our thoughts. Just because you think you found an error in some page of scripture, I got news for you. The word of God is inerrant. It's incapable of being wrong. Why can I say that? Because God is incapable of being wrong. 
You say, well, what's going on around the world? You got wars and rumors of wars and everything. There's two things that I know. The devil is real and sin is real. We love to blame God for all the bad things. And we many times fail to give him credit for the good things. You have to be careful of these things. Oh, listen, look at verse 8. It declares that the statutes or the principles or guidelines, again, a reference to the word of God. It says the statutes of the Lord are right. In other words, if we're a resolved people to live according to God's truth, we can be sure that God's word will never lead us astray. It will never lead us astray. Look at verse number 8 also. At the very end it says the commandment or the word or authority of the Lord is pure. That means it's clean, it's clear, it's concise. You know, I put in my notes most of the time, I believe that people understand what God is saying in his word. The problem is not with what God says. The problem many times is with our willingness to apply what he says. God's word is clear, it's concise. It's direct. But the problem isn't with what God says many times. Let's be honest. Sometimes we read a passage and we go, oh, that stepped on my toe. Well, I mean, I could say something funny like get a bigger pair of shoes, but it wouldn't help. It's still going to step on our toes if we're not living according to its truth. As I said earlier, Psalm 119 Verse 105 tells us the word of God is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. It is reliable. It is clean. It is clear. It is concise. In verse number 9, notice here. In verse number 9, it says the fear of the Lord. This is, this is talking about the word of God. This, this word fear is used as a synonym actually here for the word of God. And notice it says the fear of the Lord is clean. In other words, it is timeless and free of any imperfections. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 40 and verse number 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand for how long? Forever. It's been said, I like this. It's been said that if we revere the God of the word, watch this, if we revere the God of the word, then there's no doubt we will revere the word of God. If we revere the God of the word, then there's no doubt we're going to revere the word of God. Verse 9 concludes by pointing out the judgments or the divine verdicts of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. In other words, this means that God's word is a complete, it is a complete and authoritative source, watch this, of truth. It is complete and it is an authoritative and complete source of truth is what verse number 9 is saying. In fact, Psalm 119 and 160 agrees with that, saying this, it says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments, there it is again, thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Friends, can I tell you this truth? God's word is complete. God's word can be relied upon. The question is, are we relying upon it? It's complete can be relied upon in our life it'll guide our steps the reality of the psalm i just read is that god's word is going to abide forever it is true it is complete it's all sufficient and authoritative the apostle paul said it this way in second timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 he said all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine that means what is right 
It is profitable for doctrine. What is right? What is right? The Word of God is right. Watch what he says. He said it's also profitable for reproof. In other words, what is not right? Have you ever been corrected? As a kid, I got corrected all the time. It is profitable for reproof. What is not right? It is profitable for correction. How to get right. And then it also is profitable for instruction in righteousness. I always say how to stay right. What's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. That's what Paul says the word of God is. He says this in verse number 17, that the man of God, or ladies, you can supplant yourself there, the woman of God may be throughly or completely furnished unto all good works. May God help us to live according to his word, not only today, but every day. And if you're here today and you've yet to trust in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, can I tell you probably the greatest truth that was ever propagated or shared with humanity is the truth that we read and find in John 3.16. The greatest truth is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, Scripture reveals that God made himself known to us. In fact, if you still have your finger in Psalm 19, the very first verse of Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare his glory. Oh, this is what we've been blessed with. This is the sacred trust that we have been given. Truly, the reality is, if the heavens declare the glory of God, the reality, in fact, we could go to Psalm 139, but the reality is there's nowhere that you and I can run to or hide to away from God's goodness or glory. There's nowhere you can hide. You can't run and hide under a bushel, no, because God's there with you, right? He's everywhere. The only question for you and I today, if you've never trusted Christ, the question for you today is, will you... Will you believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins to pay your sin debt, which by the way, none of us could ever pay? If you believe that, the natural response and understanding that you need a savior because the Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23, right? The natural response is, Jesus, I need you. And so if you're here and you've yet to trust in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, can I encourage you that we serve a God who is rich in mercy, who loved us. He loved you so much. Jesus loves you so much that he willingly came and placed himself on a cross to pay your sin debt and to pay my sin debt so that we could actually have a relationship with him and one day we could spend eternity with him. If you've never trusted in that truth, can I beg you to trust him today? You say, I'm not sure about how to do that. Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9 and 10, it says that if thou will confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It goes on, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You don't need to confess to me. 
You can quietly, softly talk to the Lord. And when you confess your need and you call upon the name of the Lord, as Romans 10, 13 says, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you do that, based upon the truth of his word, he will receive you unto himself. He will forgive you and give you a new life in Christ Jesus. If you're not a believer yet, I pray that you'll do that here and just, you can even do it right now while I'm talking. You can just, just turn me off and start praying to Jesus and ask him to come into your life. But I want to talk to those as we wrap up. Maybe you're here and you're a believer already. I'm asking you today, as your pastor and as your friend, I'm asking you to join me in recommitting yourself, yourselves, plural, to living a life in 2024, living a life that will bring God the most honor and the most glory. And you say, well, how do I do that? By living according to His Word. You say, do I really need to recommit to that? I mean, I, I, I've done that in the past. I plan to do that in the future. You know, plans are great. But I believe God takes pleasure when His people recommit themselves to doing right. We live in a day and age in which there aren't many people committing to do right. So I'm asking you, as the praise team will come and they'll begin playing and whatnot, I'm asking you to join me. I'm going to get down here and I'm going to recommit myself to live according to the truth of God's Word in 2024. Aren't you doing that? Yeah, but I want to do it again. I encourage you to do that as well. If you're here and you're not a believer, I beg you, don't walk out of this place without Jesus today. He is the only truth that you need in your life to set you free. The world, the experiences, the traditions, it's all a bunch of fluff. What you need is Jesus. I pray that you'll trust him today. Father, we love you. I thank you for the opportunity to present your word that is true. It is a living, breathing uh, document. It is, it, is, it is what we need for today. So God, help us to be reminded of the power of your word and the reality that living according to your word and making your word the authority in our lives is what is going to continue to 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 nurture this freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that we will all gather around your throne this morning in this time of invitation and recommit ourselves to being men and women and young people who will live according to your word that is true. God, help us to be resolved now and always, for it's in your precious Son's name we pray, and for his sake. Amen.